Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to discuss Season 4, Episode 16 of Farscape. Bringing home the beacon. <sighs> what Boo. is this, Charmed? Oh my god, Boo. I don't know. What is this Farscape? Come on. What's weird about this is that this title really only makes sense... When there's like 30 minutes, 30 minutes, when there's like 30 seconds left in the episode. Yeah, yeah, like this, this, t- this title, this title only applies to the very, very end of the episode. This title is basically a spoiler. Yeah. But the episode's good. The episode is good. I, I mean, this is a really, really killer episode. Honestly, that kind of applies to Charm too. Doesn't it feel like the worst titled episodes are the best? I don't, you know what? I've said it a thousand times on our Charmed podcast. I'll say it again here. Womb Raider. Okay, I guess, I guess, I guess there's no real correlation between how good the title is and how good the episode is. All right. Anyway, Farscape. Farscape. This episode is like so much better than last week's episode. Yep. So last week was Boys Night Out. This week is Girls Night Out. And by this, this week and last week, we, we do it every other week. But yeah, but you, I meant, you know. as, I meant uh, as they aired. Yeah. Yeah. So, I want to be clear, you didn't miss a week or anything. Sure. Previously on Farscape, Aaron (laughs) is with child. Which, as you pointed out, is important that they keep in the previouslys because... Aaron is not acting pregnant at all. Also, remember, Scorpius is spying on them through the comms, (laughs) so Aaron and John can't act like they care about each other. Also, also, why is Erin pregnant relevant at all if she can apparently just stay pregnant for as long as possible? Like, No, 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 no. Okay, she can't control staying pregnant. The deal is that the Sebation's body, like, will just hang on to the embryo until, like, things have calmed down enough for it to start developing. Okay, it's like so- an evolutionary thing. It's honestly very much tied to the thing with Moya, right? Where she got pregnant when they were able to remove the the barrier because, like, the seed or whatever <laughs> was already there. So once they removed the barrier, she immediately got pregnant. It's kind of like that with Erin. Like, the embryo is just sitting there and she's, as soon as things calm down, she will be pregnant. Okay, so... But in this case, things have calmed down enough that it's developing, but also... She's really not acting very pregnant. Yeah, that's because Sebations don't have the curse of Eve. Okay. Okay, because... Sebation pregnancy is, to quote Screen Rant, super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Yeah, I remember the first couple of uh, months of pregnancy were fairly rough on you. Yeah! And then the next few after that also, (laughs) come to think of it... No, honestly, the first trimester was, okay, I was not prepared for how bad the first trimester was going to be because I thought, like, you would ease into it, and that is wrong because during your first trimester, like, your placenta hasn't fully formed, so there's not, like, a little organ there that's giving nutrients to the baby, and instead, the baby is just sucking it all out of you, and I was not in good shape. Yeah, you were so tired all yes, the time. I have well, never been that tired. Which is fine. You were creating life, you know. That... Yes, I was growing an additional human. Yes. And then the second trimester, especially compared to the first, was like a breeze. 
<laughs> and then I decided I was done. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Our, our, our kid is totally fine. She was just born very, very... She was born three months early. I literally didn't have a third trimester. Yeah, she was born very early. But she's she's totally fine now. Yeah, because modern science is great. Yes, yeah. <laughs> science is amazing. But yeah, Erin is pregnant. The point is, Erin is pregnant, but she's not really acting pregnant at all. She's like still fighting dudes and getting into firefights and yelling at Chiana and stuff. She's she's eating fish and having spicy foods all over the place. Yes. So we open... I'm not sure if we've seen her drink alcohol, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did. I'm pretty sure we haven't, but also it, I'm sure it doesn't matter. I'm sure sebations are fine. They have like nine livers. Yeah. Yeah. So we start off... We start off weirdly like in media's rests in the middle of things. We start off on Moya... The boys have returned from their martial arts slash meditation camp, meditation camp slash weirdly delving into Dargo's backstory. Coincidentally, his ex-brother-in-law. Yeah. I think... Would he still be the brother-in-law? Because Dargo didn't get divorced. His wife was murdered probably by her brother. But maybe it was by Dargo. Whoa. Yeah, I think once the wife is murdered by either Dargo or the brother, <laughs> we go ahead and say ex-brother-in-law, even though there was no divorce. And Dargo got... John was like, congratulations on not getting revenge, Dargo, because you didn't kill the guy. And Dargo's like, yeah, but he's in a weird psychic coma. It's not like I did not get revenge. He just... I blew up his brain and now he's just a body like that's arguably worse than death yeah i would i would argue that anyway that's that's what the boys were doing now now they're on moya and now the boys are back in town yes and the girls are late so they mentioned that they are still waiting on the other party to get back and they have not yet returned and then we cut back to what happened to the other party this is kind of interesting because uh the ship has kind of an 80s X-Men thing where the team kind of became more and more women mm-hmm. over time. Like, we only really have a few male people on Moya at this point. It's like, what, Rigel, John, and Dargo? Yeah. Maybe Pilot. Maybe. Meanwhile, we've got Sokozu. We've got Naranti. Uh... We've got Aaron. Chiana. We've got Chiana. I guess that's only, that's four to three, though. Like, I feel like it's unusual for a, a, the cast of a sci-fi show to skew more heavily female. It's unusual to have more than the token woman. So, yeah, it's kind of exciting, honestly. Yeah. And let's not forget about Gray's. Oh, my God, I forgot Scorpius. Does Scorpius count? Scorpius doesn't count because he's not integrated into the crew at this point. Okay. Which is weird that I'm going to count Sokozu when she is, if anything, just as... Disconnected as Scorpius. Yes. And possibly treacherous and betrayal-y. Eh, maybe. I mean, it's weird how much more in sync she is with the rest of the crew than Jewel, someone who they had arguably a better relationship with. Yeah. I mean, she really is, like... Jewel 2.0. She really is like, they, they they gave us Jewel, people were like, no thank you. And they were like, hang on, hang on, let's just, 
Let's just reconfigure this a little bit. Here you go. And now we have Sokozu, and I love her. Yeah, Sokozu's amazing. I love Sokozu. Sokozu's thing, by the way, is that she is a Leviathan expert. Mm, that's one of her many things. But it's how she ended up on Moya. Yeah. And in this episode, they have gone to a dead Leviathan, which has kind of been turned into a trading spot. Very much echoes of the Budong yeah. episode where we had where like the dead Budong was like a mining colony. And much like it, uh, Chiana is going to intimate a relationship with an older woman here. Yeah, that's yeah, hundred percent. I can't wait to talk about that scene. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I kind of legitimately came out of it shipping Naranti and uh, <laughs> Gianna, which is not a ship I, I would have imagined, but... You, Here we are. You go, Naranti. So, anyway, on this dead Leviathan, they sell illegal modifications for both ships and humans. Or, humans. Sentient beings. I know, right? How, like... Especially, especially considering... What it does is change your genetic code. I mean, kind of, if you're Chiana. Yeah. Well, I mean, 100%, because when they scan you, you don't come up as you anymore. But, you know, it's still going to be the same actress under just a slightly different colored makeup. Unless you're a robot or organic biobot or whatever it is at the end of the episode. Right. Right. Well, that's, that's a totally different thing. Yes, that is a different thing. But what they're there to get is a modification to Moya that will allow her to fool other ship sensors. So she won't look like a Leviathan anymore. She'll look like a transport carrier. Yeah, they're like a space garbage barge. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's to look like a ship too crappy to rob, but that does have a reason to be places. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's a junk trawler or something, but... I love Sukosu negotiating with this guy to find the guy who can do the thing. Honestly, this whole scene is just a really good show off of the dynamic these four women have with each other and kind of how easily they take this situation. Yeah, I mean, they are all taking charge. Like, Sukozu's being the brains, Aaron's being the muscle, uh, Chiana's being the. The face. The face. And Naranti's being some weird organ that you use to digest normally undigestible berries or something like naranti is also helping out by being her weird weird self she knows she she drinks the drinks and she's like oh they're drugged they're trying to they're trying to drug you and and so goes is like ah i get it it's a potion to make us more susceptible to bad deals which naranti's the liver naranti is the yeah naranti's the liver and the salesman's like oh you're you're good at negotiating and I guess a normal part of nego I, I don't know why I'm saying it like that. I guess a normal part of negotiating in tormented space is trying to drug the person you're negotiating with. Actually, why tormented space? Everywhere in Farscape. Yeah. Everywhere constantly. Yes. So they get past the like initial guy so they can talk to the actual person who has the sensor modulator. Guy who's trying to pull a Leia. With his hair? Yeah. I mean, it's cones instead of buns, but he's pulled his remaining hair into. Yeah, it's it's weird. He has two little hair spikes on the side of his head. I like, by the way, with the sensors, that he lets them know that for the sensor to really fool another ship, pilot's going to have to be able to fly in a way that mimics whatever it is that they're trying to look like. Uh, that is that is a really neat, uh, that, that is a neat touch. 
So this is important. They're like, okay, this is going to cost you 19,000 credits. And Chiana grabs the, like, negotiator's liaison and makes out with him and is like, what about now? And he's like, 30,000. Which is very rude. But also they all ignore him. And they're like, no, fuck you. Whatever. 16,000. That's what we're going to do. And I like, even Naranti is like, she's she's usually kind of... On another plane, mentally speaking. Yes. But she's like, hey, be nice. (laughs) We're doing this. Naranti's kind of firing on all cylinders this episode. Yeah. So they have the piece of Moya that it's going to take to that needs to be modified. I like that they do this, like, guy thing. I feel like this is definitely a guy thing where they're like, do you know what the sensor on Moya looks like? (laughs) And they pull it out. They're like this. The thing that we brought so that you could modify it. Oh, yeah. This is big shades of uh, my mom trying to buy a car. Like, it was it was the weirdest thing. I mean, I guess it's probably not if you have to deal with, you know, institutional sexism. But, like, my mom was the one buying a car for herself. Mm -hmm. And she went and they would only talk to my dad. Even when they answered her questions, they would answer her questions to my dad. It's like... Yeah, no. Like, even if my dad was buying it, why would you be rude to the woman he was buying it for? Okay, so I'm not at the point in my life where I've gone to a dealership to buy a car, but I've had identical experiences at Home Depot. Yep. Yep. If you go to Home Depot, I know what wood is, and that's basically it. I walk walk into Home Depot like Ron Swanson. I know more than you. (laughs) Yeah, so, yes. Shades of that. And it's nice to see, uh, nice to see guys put in their place. Even even in a fictional show. Even mm. in a fictional sci-fi show where it's a ridiculous thing. Anyway, it's going to take several hours for this to be fixed. So the girls are going to hang around on the dead Leviathan for a few hours. The girls are going in the mall. I mean, kind of. That yeah. is kind of what's happening. I mean, it's, it's a black market, but like a TV black market where it's like a farmer's market, but for illegal stuff. Which I'm fairly certain is not how the black market works in real life. It's not just a place you can go to buy illegal shit. But who knows? I don't get invited to crime parties or whatever. But. No, me me either. Me either. But uh uh-oh, boob sweat ladies here. Yep, Graza is here. So this is bad. They kind of try to hide out and are like, what are we going to do? We have to run back to the transporter and get out of here. And then they kind of spy a little bit and realize, oh, they don't know we're here. They're not here for us. They're here for their own thing. So we just need to stay out of sight. And it turns out that what they're there for is a secret meeting with the Scarens, a meeting that presumably the peacekeepers do not know about or they would not be doing it here. Yeah. So, Yeah. I really feel like Grace is supposed to be half something. Just the way they do her makeup feels like she's not supposed to look fully Sebastian. Oh, I mean, she definitely does look like that, but we never really establish what the other half might be. Mm. And you know how we talked about Sokozu being Jewel 2.0? Yeah. So in this episode, Grace is meeting with a uh, Scarin, uh, a high-class Scarin. Which is to say one of the Scarens that doesn't have the massive snout makeup. Yeah. And uh, she's basically Graza 2.0. We're, we're, we're not really worried about Graza anymore. We're, we're going to deal with her now. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 
I'm assuming she's gonna kill Graza. To be honest with you, I don't even remember what happens to Graza. Wow. Doesn't even matter. Doesn't oh, even matter. Harsh. So they have to stay they have to lay low for the next few hours, and everyone's like, hey, isn't this a really good opportunity to like kill Graza? Or at least spy on her and figure out what's yeah, going on. Yeah, her thing is spying on her, you know, oh, we can finally have, you know, the upper hand. We can know what Grace is up to before she shows up and wipes her boob sweat on her. I, Grace hasn't really done all that much, has she? I mean, she's not. I mean, she assaulted. Great. Yeah, she is. She, she sent that creature that killed uh, DK. Yeah. And his fiance. Yeah. Okay, so she killed, yeah, I guess that's a pretty big villain move. She killed John's childhood best friend, and uh, and she assaulted John on that uh, archaeology planet. Yeah, Which, yeah. that really never got mentioned again, which I guess is sort of a mixed thing. I mean, I, I feel like they, much like with Jewel, they sensed that Greza, like, was not the character they wanted her to be. Yeah. And they were ready to move on. So... Chiana's legitimately just doing that scene from Pretty Woman at this fake plastic surgery place, this, like, genetic tampering facility. Uh, it's not just plastic surgery. It's, like, a full-service spa that does genetic surgery. Yeah. Because she's gonna... She's starting off just getting a massage. And they're, like, they're very expensive. And she's, like... She slaps some credits down. She's, like, you work off commission, right? Big mistake. Big. Big. Huge. <laughs> so I, I guess someone was watching Pretty Woman to prepare for this episode. Are you talking about me? No, I was talking about whoever wrote it. Ah. They're like, I'm, what do women act like? I'm just so happy when they finally let her shop. <laughs> to quote Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. An amazing movie. I don't get me wrong, I love this episode, but I would like to see an episode of Farscape based off of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. I don't even know what that would look like, but I would watch it. Who's the who's the the smoking woman in that? Janine Garofalo. Janine Garofalo. I was like, I know it's either a comedian or a musician. And I'm like, wasn't Alanis Morissette? Oh, they are kind of like very similar vibes, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Alan Cumming is in that movie, too. That movie is great. That movie is great. The fact that there's a, a fantasy sequence that goes on for legitimately, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> a, a massive chunk of the movie is a fantasy sequence. And then it just, it cuts back to before the fantasy sequence starts, and they never mention it again for the rest of the movie. That's not true. The fantasy sequence is what makes Romy realize that she has to go apologize to Michelle, or possibly the other way around. And she points out that because of the fantasy sequence, she she learned the chemical composition of glue. She figured out how to make post-its from the fantasy sequence. You're right. I'm sorry. The, the fantasy sequence does heavily factor into the rest of that movie. Also, I was playing Balderdash with some people. Do you know how... Do you know the... Are you familiar with the game Balderdash? I'm not. Okay. It's... I mean, you know, you've heard of it, right? Yes. Okay. But the way it works is uh, a fact or a trivia question or a word or whatever is put out there. And you're supposed to come up with the most reasonable sounding response. And then they all, they're all presented and everybody votes on which one they think is the real one. And you get points either if you guess the real one or if you, if yours is the one that sounds the most realistic and it gets points. Okay. That's how you play the game. Okay. And. Did you do the chemical composition from glue, uh, for glue from Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion, but do it slightly off? 
no, one of the things was who invented post-its. And I was like, Art Fry from the 3M Corporation. Like, that one doesn't work for me because I already know the answer. Because I watched Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Come on! I, po- Thanks to podcasts, I do that all the time. Yeah. Also, thanks to Happy Endings, I know uh, Hitler's birthday, which... Well, but that's like... Because it's also Brad's birthday. And I think Tyra Banks is... He's like, yeah, me, Tyra Banks, and Hitler. Okay, but that's also like... it. I guess it's a common knowledge thing. Well, because it's, it's 420. Yeah. Which is, yeah, like, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Okay, we will get back to Farscape in one second. But Did I, you want to talk about how we have the most obscure happy endings tattoos in the world? I don't, although we do. <laughs> we, we do have matching tattoos from happy endings, and you probably wouldn't guess what they are unless you were a... Happy Endings mega fan. Yes, yes. But I wanted so badly for the first 30 minutes of, not Infinity War, the other one. Or maybe Infinity War? The one post-snap. Uh, Endgame. Endgame. I wanted the first 20 to 30 minutes of that just to be a Happy Endings episode that took place in the Marvel Universe. Yes. Because it was the Russo brothers, and you could get all of the same information. Well, I mean, we got a little bit of that with WandaVision. Yes, we got a little bit of that with WandaVision. But not enough. Not enough. But, God, I would have just loved to see a happy endings. Uh, I, I know this probably makes me some sort of weird media person, but the fact that I would love to see an episode of happy endings set in the MCU... Specifically, this is because the Russo brothers were the ones who did happy endings. This is not a random pairing of things. Right, right, right. And I mean, to be fair, I also think a lot of people wanted more time spent talking about what the snap meant yeah. than like... <sighs> I, I put it out on Twitter. I'm like, okay, what what do you think ha- the episode of happy endings post the snap would be? And someone was like, well, okay, either everyone survives... Or everyone but Dave survives. <laughs> and then... Well, that, now, now you have me thinking about the episode more like Skanksgiving, where Dave is off on his own adventure for the whole time. No, that was the joke the person came up with. Because when everyone comes back post the snap, they didn't realize he'd been gone for five years. Which is what happens in more like Skanksgiving. They're like, well, let's see what Dave thinks. And then they're like, wait, is Dave not here? Has Dave not been here this whole time? Dave's subplot in that episode makes me uncomfortable because, but, but they point out it is just Dave being ridiculous. Like Jane points out at the end, like how offensive his subplot is, how offensive his subplot is and how like, no, you don't understand the suffering of the native American people because you've had a really weird day. Okay. Okay. But you have to understand who Dave is. Yes. Dave is. And this is, I believe I understand who Dave is. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is a thing that a person that I follow on TikTok pointed out, which is just very, very true. Dave is the guy who in any other sitcom would be the main character. He's like your Ted Mosby or your Ross Geller. Except that in Happy Endings, we're aware of how terrible he is, thereby, like, removing a huge percentage of his terribleness. So when Dave finds out that he's like... 316th Native American and becomes really, really offensive about it, 
they just tell him how offensive that is. Constantly, because it is a weird running gag. But it's also a weird thing that, like, white guys do. Yeah. And, and Farscape. So Sakosu's got her uh, multi-braid, not braids, uh, what would you call those? Twists. Yeah, she's got her twist hair, which I think of as kind of her professional hair. Yeah, it's true, because when she's, when she's flirting with Scorpius, she tends to have her hair down. And when she's like, yeah, when she's doing business, she has her hair up in twists. Huh, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right, that's true. I really like the dynamic that Sokozu and Aaron build over the course of this episode, because the two of them actually work really well together. <laughs> it's it's weird how two really competent characters are really competent when they're working together. Isn't that a strange thing? <laughs> And and I like that they're both making an argument about what they should do here. So Kozu's like, okay, they're distracted by the fact that they're in the middle of, like, some sort of treaty meeting. We should get out of here. And Aaron's like, they're distracted because they're in some sort of treaty meeting. We should spy on them and gather intel. It's a fundamental difference in the way that you deal with being hunted. Hmm. But it's neither of them is wrong. And I really like how they're not really against each other. Like... It's it's weird because they are approaching the situation from two very, very different angles. They're two people with very strong personalities. But even though they're disagreeing with how to handle this, it never really feels like they're at odds. They're just trying to work out the best way to get through this situation. They're both being very tactical about it. Yeah. Meanwhile. And that's a thing. Speak. I know shows like this don't normally have multiple female characters, but... It also feels like the instinct would be to have them being, I'm apologizing for this, I can't think of a better word, catty towards each other. Uh-huh. Which, honestly, Farscape has indulged in quite a bit in the past. But just how level-headed and competent everyone is being. Yeah, so even Chiana and Naranti, I feel like in other episodes they might be kind of cartoonish in this instance. But no, what happens is they see, they, they see that the peacekeepers and the scarens are on board and they're like, all right, well, let's duck into this genetic modification spa and get genetically modified right away uh, so that we can slip out unseen past the peacekeepers. I mean, they're looking for Chiana and they might be aware of Naranti. Honestly, I don't feel like Naranti is a particularly high profile member of the crew at this point. That's a good point. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. why should Chiana be the only one who gets plastic surgery? Also... I feel like they wanted to put Naranti in just slightly sexier makeup for the stuff that happens uh, later in this episode. Oh yeah, like, it's it's still not it's not like sexy, but it it dials back some of the uh, crone stuff that she's got going on. Yeah, she looks like uh, I've never watched the show, but what I imagine the older characters on uh, Real Housewives of Wherever look. I mean, I've, we talked about it before. I feel like she looks like a Miyazaki witch. No, I mean post-surgery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Post-surgery. She's got a lot of fillers. Yeah, post-surgery, she looks like someone who's had a lot of surgery. Yes. Like, not bad per se, but someone who's had a lot of plastic surgery. Yeah. So, Aaron and Sokozu, spying on the delegation, learn that Greza is going to offer the Scarens a deal, a peace treaty, in exchange for the Luxon territories. And honestly, even the other Scarens are like, whoa, you are just giving up the Luxons? Okay. And. Wow, a planet full of Dargos. That's a huge sacrifice. 
I mean, presumably it's just, it's not so much the sacrifice is like the massive betrayal. Aaron is like, okay, that is real bad. That is real bad. And Aaron's like, okay, I know I said we should just gather recon, but now we have to like... Murder everyone. Murder everyone. And Sokozu, right, having not been on the ship with Dargo for that long a time, but instead having lived in Skyrim space is like... You know what? I think maybe it's worth giving up Luxon space to not be at war with the Scarens because they are fucking scary dragons. But Aaron's like, okay, well, you go back to the ship and tell Dargo that. So Ghost is like, okay. Why would I care what she doesn't? She doesn't say that, but why would Sukozu care what Dargo thinks? But also, Aaron. You are a single person with it, with one weapon. You're not going to take out the whole delegation. Yeah, Skirins are super tough. You have to shoot them like a billion times to kill them, and there's a lot of them there. Yeah. I I guess I get why the Peacekeepers have this, like, uneasy treaty with the uh, Luxons, because I know I talk a lot about how the Luxons are, like, a warrior race who kind of sucks compared to all of the other warrior races in the universe, but, like... No. Remember, we've only really ever seen Dargo, a teenager who faked his rank and ran off. Like, that, let's, 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 assume, let's be clear here. Let's assume the rest of the rest of Luxa is more competent than him. Right, like, we're not going to judge all Klingons based on Worf. Definitely not against Worf. Right, no, but he it's the same situation, right? He's, like, he's not representative of Klingons. Hmm. Because he was raised by humans. It's not exactly the same situation. He left his home young, just like Dargo did. Yeah. Although Dargo was presumably older. Okay, yes. And, and and raised by Russians is not the same as held prisoner by the peacekeepers, but... But I'm assuming that the peacekeepers could theoretically overrun the Luxon homeworld with... I, I feel like them having a peace thing with the Luxons is just this would not be worth the resources it would take to capture. Oh, yes. Uneasy peace. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like the peacekeepers could, if they really put their minds to it, take over the Luxon planet. Because they're very clear, this is not a territory the peacekeepers control. They've just got a treaty between the two of them. A no aggression pact. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and really, the situation is that with this particular agreement with the Scarens, I mean will involve the peacekeepers not intervening when the Scarens go to wipe them all out. Remember how, like, a few minutes ago I said something about the female members of Moya's crew not being catty towards each other? Yes. Well, I think we found out where all of that energy went. See, I thought you were going to talk about how everyone from Moya is super competent, and here we're seeing the opposite of that, because we are learning that... This peace treaty that's happening, and I said that the peacekeepers are unaware of this treaty. Also, the Scarens are probably unaware of this treaty. That's why it's happening in tormented space on a dead Leviathan. But we learn that this female Scarin is the daughter of a Scarin who was deposed a while ago. And that... That was Max making the throat cutting motion. Mm-hmm. In case that didn't read in an audio format. Which it probably wouldn't come to think of Not it. Not at all. No, that's why I had to describe it. Yeah, yeah. So, Greza is going to go back and have this treaty that she has formed with the Scarens and use that to 
make herself more powerful and like take over peacekeeper leadership. She's talking about how this can be mutually beneficial for both of them. She points out that since this lady's father was killed mm-hmm. or stepped down or whatever, she's been unable to rise in the ranks of Scarin royalty or whatever. Like she's been stuck in the same position and and you know Boob Sweat Lady is also stuck in the same position. She's reached the glass ceiling of of peacekeeperdom, and together they can help each other rise because women gotta support women and all that jazz. Although the cattiness you were speaking of comes here where she's like, I I just haven't been able to rise up because I won't use my boob sweat to rise up. And then Grace is like, you know what? Some of us just use whatever weapons we have in our arsenal and don't get all squeamish about it. Also, can we just take a step back? Can okay. we take a step back? Okay. Grace is going to use this treaty to rise up in the ranks. Be like, look, I negotiated this treaty. Now I'm going to stab a bunch of high-ranking peacekeepers until I'm a peacekeeper of high rank. And this Scarin is going to do the same. Which means neither of them has power to negotiate a treaty. This is just two random people talking to each other on a dead ship. This means nothing. This is the epi- <laughs> This is the political equivalent of, hey, you know what we should do? We should start a band. This is like, this is some burn after reading shit going on. And honestly, the fact that Aaron's like, I better intervene. No, Aaron, don't, don't boob sweat it. Like, just, (laughs) just, just leave. And I'm pretty sure nothing's going to happen with this, like, fake treaty. You can just leave. This, this is as much authority as, like, a Model UN in Cincinnati. Like... Don't even think about it. Don't give it a second thought. But that's not what's going to happen. Just going to give it many, many thoughts. Meanwhile, Bracca has heard that there's an Abari on board. He knows that Shiana's here, so he's going to go find Shiana. Okay, if it's a girl's... Just just because your friend's gay doesn't mean you can invite him on a girl's trip. That's <laughs> offensive. Anyway, so Braca pretty much instantly finds Chiana, but uh, her skin is is turquoise now instead of gray, and her hair is red now instead of gray, and she's entirely unrecognizable. Okay, so I just read a someone was doing a like summary, a, like a joke summary. A, what do you call those anyway? A, like beat by boot. Someone was talking about an episode of Millie the Model. Okay. Where she gets her hair dyed for a modeling job, uh, a secret modeling job that no one knows about, and then she bonks herself on the head and gets amnesia. Oh my god, that sounds amazing. So she goes back to the modeling agency because she had their card or whatever, but she doesn't remember who she is, and none of her friends or or none of her friends, none of her coworkers, her boss, nor her boyfriend recognize her. Because she has black hair and thus looks like a completely different person. And it, and it isn't until she's bonked on the head again and she gets her memory back that she thinks to wash the dye out of her hair and be like, oh, I'm obviously Millie the model. Okay, here's the thing. I know I started the whole making fun of Bracca thing because yeah. this is clearly Chiana. But, I mean, someone I know very well, I told you this, Max, did like totally Clark Kemp me sitting there with fake glasses on and I like walked right past him not realizing it the other day so i i shouldn't really criticize he wasn't like trying to hide i just like literally didn't notice him sitting there because he had fake glasses on for a different reason i guess just saying 
And actually, I remember the summer after my first year of law school, I decided to dye my hair black. So I dyed my hair black and I had uh, sunglasses on and I walked past a professor I knew really well. And I was like, hey, professor. And he was like, um, hello. And then like I took down my glasses and he was like, oh, hey, I didn't recognize you. And I was like, are you telling me alias is true? Because literally the only thing different is my hair is black instead of brown and I'm wearing sunglasses. That's why you always need a pink wig. Yeah, see, so alias that shit up. So Bracco needs to do a genetic scan to see if this woman is in fact Chiana, but she already has had her like. Yeah, she and Naranti have both had their plastic surgery slash genetic tampering that makes them appear like different species or whatever. They're having a little fake out make out to try to hide from. Uh... I did not make that up. That was a thing. I know, before. I know. But uh, to try to hide from Braca, and he's like, mm, you're making it. I'm mysteriously immune to your making out foul temptresses, and I'm going to scan you anyway. Well, basically, they're trying to come off like they're not nervous about this. So when he comes up to them and he like is like, you look like Chiana, except not. Have you seen a Nabari? She's like. What's a Nabari? But she's also like. I'm not interested in you. I'm only interested in women. And then she and Naranti, like, start making out like they're girlfriends. Was the Nabari hot? I can only see hot, hot, sexy women. I'm a lesbian or whatever. (laughs) Also, they keep kind of making out after he walks away. Yeah. Which is great. Like, they make... He he walks away and then they keep making out. And and Chan's like, you're actually pretty good at that. I mean, they're both having fun with it, I feel like. Despite the, like, definite danger of the situation. Yeah, Naranti's like, why don't you come up and see me sometime? Naranti's getting ready to throw a private production of Sextet. That's a... It was a... It was a... Um, Yes. Well, they might not know. Go ahead. Uh, it was a movie that Mae West wrote to star herself in. It, it is like the, it's, I think, one of my favorite vanity projects of all time. Uh-huh. It's just about how Mae West is the most attractive woman in the universe. And she's been married like nine times and she's had sex with literally everyone on earth and everyone loves her and wants to have sex with her. And that's the whole movie. Mae West was a big sex symbol back in the life. Yeah, but Mae West was a big sex symbol when she was like in her 30s and she did this movie when she was like in her 60s. No, no, no. No, no, no. She did this movie when she was in her 80s. It is amazing. Also, it was based off of a a play that she wrote. But like, it's got a lot of famous people in it. Ringo Starr is in that movie. Timothy Dalton is in that movie. I know that's a weird divorce fan. Yeah, I I don't feel like those names. I mean... (laughs) But you knew them. Okay, that's true. I mean, Ringo Starr was a Beatle, but like of all the Beatles. And Timothy Dalton was, was a Bond. the least Beatle. But of all the of Bonds. Bonds. Yeah, but they were famous. <laughs> so. I really like this episode of Farscape. Why are we talking so much about other stuff? Because it's so good and it just does what it does and then it moves on. Mm. So back at the back at the fake i mean it is fake right back at the fake scarin summation peace treaty discussion <laughs> the scarin is like um let's talk about your wormhole technology i want to know about your wormhole weapons i and- know we're i'm sorry i know we already talked about this but i do want to kind of go back to it a little before we get deeper into this why does scarin society look down on boob sweat lady for using her boob sweat powers 
That seems like a really weird slut shamey thing. I mean, that's what it was in the early 2000s. Like, I mean, I, I know, I know it's not fair to. We're a society of horrifying sex monsters with mind control powers, but if you wipe your boob sweat on people, you're a bad person. Wait, wait. What makes the Scaran sex monsters? They're just, they're just monsters. Like literal, like. I was thinking more they're they're breeding programs. Oh right, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. Like you're you're totally okay with the horrifying breeding program thing, but boob sweat lady is a bridge too far. Well, I mean, this kind of makes me think about Firefly, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know it's not fair to say that this is what the two thousands were like because. You know, Joss was his own particular brand of terrible, so it's not it's not right to just blame the times. But but, but it, it kind of reminds me of the way in Firefly, theoretically, it's a world where companions are high ranked and, and like the upper crust of society. And yet every single person we meet slut shames Inara, like for no reason. If it's just a job, then who cares? And it's not just just a job. We are told that it's a high-end job, and we are shown that the puritanical, slut-shaming, anti-sex worker mentality of early 2000s America is carried over into Firefly. It's the same thing here, right? You're like, somehow, somehow a society of of mind-controlling lizards also has weird puritanical ideas about sex that they brought over from like earth right like that doesn't make any sense i think the bit would have worked better with inara if it was like lawyer jokes yeah huh it really really would have but and i, I know- not that that wouldn't have also played into negative tropes or whatever but like i mean if you're gonna do it anyway at least try to be a little clever with it Right? Like, the problem with Inara is not that she is a sex worker, but that she is a capitalist. Yeah. Huh. Anyway. Anyway. Just to throw out there that Joss Whedon is the problem. Not the, I mean, the early 2000s are also the problem, but just to throw out that Joss Whedon is also the problem. If, if, if you want to know that the early 2000s were, you know, the problem and not just Joss Whedon, you could watch the sci-fi epic Dude, Where's My Car? I'm not kidding. It is legitimately a science fiction movie if you haven't seen it. You might not know that. I do have to tell you that I've never seen the movie Dude, Where's My Car? Mm -hmm. But at one point, the guy I was dating many, many decades at this point ago was telling me the plot of it. And I was like, at one point, he's telling me the plot. And I'm like, are you just doing that thing where you see if I'm paying attention to you still? And he's like, no, that's actually the plot. That's what happens. No, like legitimately, (laughs) it's about these two groups of aliens that are trying to find a scientific space weapon that was accidentally discovered by two stoners. That's legitimately the plot of Dude, Where's My Car? Max, that's the plot of Farscape. <laughs> oh my god, that is the plot of Farscape. Oh my god, that's the plot of Farscape. Farscape and Dude, Where's My Dude, Car? Dude, Where's My Wormhole? Oh my god. Dude, Where's My Wormhole? Dude, Where's My Wormhole? <laughs> oh my god. Is it too late to change the name of our podcast? Far, far, far too late. Welcome to, welcome to Dude, Where's My Wormhole? Um, yeah. But back to this meeting. 
Yeah, so they they want to see the wormhole technology because the Scarin rightly points out that the peacekeepers are all like, yeah, we have an uneasy, mutually assured destruction thing going on because we have wormhole technology, and... Uh, we could use it to blow up any planet we want at any time, and you can't defend against it, but you can't see it, uh, and we're not going to demonstrate it for you anymore. Right, right, so... Yeah, the scary lady's like, okay, you blew up one planet with it, and then it hasn't been seen since... Come on, come on. One planet... But it turns out this has just been, like, saber-rattling. They're like, all right, let's sign the sign the treaty. And I will remind you, these are two people with no authority to sign a treaty, signing a treaty, but whatever. It's, it's like... It's like... Kids playing dress-up? I was going to say, like, a shift manager at Walmart trying to use that leverage to get, like, legislation passed... In the government? Yeah. Or it's like, yes, clearly you do have some authority over a certain part of society. You have control over a lot of people's lives. But there are decisions that are very much not yours to make. But we're like the only ones worried about that. Because Aaron's like, oh no, we have to go down there and kill Greza and keep this treaty from being signed. And then it turns out it doesn't even matter because now that the treaty's signed... The Scarin's like, okay, it was all a trap. Kill all of her guards and take her prisoner. Congratulations, you just wasted a ton of time for no reason. Who are you talking to? Uh, I, I was talking to the Scarin lady, but I guess everyone has been kind of doing that. Well, I mean, I think the point was that she wanted... This, this whole thing was just a ruse for her to try to get the wormhole technology, which I will be honest... Would be a much better way for her to rise up in the ranks than this fake treaty. So, you know, more power to her for being Graze a 2.0 with a plan that actually makes sense. I mean, but she didn't try very hard. She was like, so tell me about the wormhole technology. And Graze is like, no. Yeah, so instead she just killed off Graze's guards and has now taken Graze on back a prisoner. Mm. I mean, that's... No one else has a better plan for getting the wormhole technology. Everyone else's plan is capture John, the guy they know has it. I guess it's kind of like uh, in Widow's... When they're, you know, they spend the whole movie planning for this heist. And then, spoiler alert for the movie Widows, when it happens, it's basically just them running into a house, grabbing a safe, and then running out of the house. It's like every game of Shadowrun I've ever played. Like, yeah. So, everyone from Moya's crew is in the same spot now, and they have to come up with a plan. They're going, because they have to get past all these guards, but Aaron also feels like she needs to go take them out so that this treaty doesn't go into effect and screw over the Luxons. So I kind of really love this. Um, she sends Sokozu and Chiana to the transport pod to get the, the sensor thing that they came for in the first place and wait for her there. And then she and Naranti are going to kind of fight their way out. And... She, tell, she asked Naranti, she's like, what kind of drugs do you have that would help? And she's like, ooh, you know what would be really good right now? A sleeping powder. But I do not have a sleeping powder. <laughs> Naranti's really killing it this episode. Naranti- between, between that and, like, immediately identifying that the drinks are poisoned and being like, no, 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 don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Naranti is firing on all cylinders. Yeah, she really is. She she has something that she can use to incapacitate some she, people. She, she does say she has another thing, but she doesn't know if it's going to work on everybody. It's, like, experimental, so. And Aaron's like, that's fine. An experiment going wrong would probably work for us. <laughs> right? Like, I don't care if it 
makes them die or vomit or fall asleep or whatever. Whatever will probably distract them. Okay, so back where uh, the Scarens are interrogating Greza and Braca, I just want to point out that they have this, like, cocoon prison cell that they've locked Greza in. Weird. And Braca is literally, like, handcuffed to a radiator. Like, why the differing levels of restraint? I do not know. Her boob sweat powers make her too dangerous. Oh my god, I think you're right. No, no, now that you said that, I think that's what happened. They needed to have, like, more restraints for her. And with Braca, they were like, whatever. His boob sweat's not gonna do anything. But, yeah, they're resistant to the horse rays of mind reading or whatever yeah Braca. they can't get a, they can't get out of Braca's mind whether or not they actually have wormhole technology because he has like trained himself to be immune to it which makes sense because he was scorpius's first like officer so right hand man yeah yeah he probably went to that training camp with him right oh yeah good catch that's the, that was the whole point of the training camp so Naranti throws the powder in the faces of the guards and it's, it makes them, she makes them see each other as the enemy so that they shoot each other, which is perfect. And then since it's those aliens from that one episode that have the full face covering armor, Mm -hmm. that means they can take the armor and hide in it. So aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Exactly. Plus now they have more guns. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, so Aaron and Sagozu have, like, a neat little moment while they're getting into the uniforms. It's, uh, there's a lot of good character work between those, between these two characters this episode. Yeah, Aaron's like, yeah, I know it's not really your color, um, but, like, with a little grin on her face, and Sagozu kind of grins back at her. Yeah, yeah, it's cute. Also, it kind of acknowledges the weird sci-fi thing where Sakozu is, like, all beiges and oranges all the time. Everyone's from a planet that has one thing. Yes. So, in the room where the interrogation is happening, Naranti is dragged in by two guards, who are, of course, Aaron and Sakozu in the armor. So, now, basically, everyone has been... All the guards have been taken out, so only named characters remain. Hooray, all the characters whose names I know are alive. (laughs) So, since Sakozu went with them to do this, this means Chiana's on her own going back to the transport pod... And the the guys doing the sensors immediately attack her because they're like, uh-uh, we are not going to have this pod stolen while we wait for our clients to come back and pay us. And she's like, I am your client. And they're like, we know that you look exactly like our client, but you've had genetic modification, so we can't recognize you. And she kisses the guy that she kissed before, and he's like, oh, it is her. Don't worry. Which is uh, nice. This is a nice little, like, little loop there. Yeah, Chekhov's gun. It's yeah. been... Chekhov's Chiana's tongue. Chekhov's mouth gun. Yes. So, meanwhile, Boob Sweat Lady has to convince them not to shoot her without using her boob sweat because she's in a cocoon. Yeah, she's like, if you shoot me, then she's got the signed treaty. But if you leave me alive, I can be like, no, that treaty was bullshit because we only signed it. Under duress. Yeah, I was going to say under duress, but it wasn't really under duress. It's that we were tricked into signing it. So don't follow the treaty. And also, no one was going to anyway. Yeah. And also, by the way, Aaron, I don't know how you think you're going to get out of here in a transport pod when there's like a Scarin command carrier out there. So, which is a good question. But that means that they do, in fact, free Braca and Greza. It's an enemy mind situation. Yeah. 
So Aaron is going to cover them while they all run back to the ship. She says, if I'm not there in 15 minutes, take off without me. And we see her firing at Ascaran. And as you mentioned before, they need a lot of firing to, to actually die. And it seems unlikely that Aaron's going to be able to kill this one. And yeah, because he's just shrugging her blaster fire off. And spoiler alert, this is the last time we're going to see Aaron for a little bit. Okay. I mean, spoilers for the end of the... This is where the switch happens. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant that we were going to go a few episodes with her just MIA again because we've been doing that kind of a lot recently. No, no, I just meant this is the last real Aaron. Yeah. So everyone returns to the pod, obviously, minus Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like that when Shiana pays the guys, she's like, um, do I get a discount for getting attacked? And they're like, you should pay us extra for guarding your pod. I like how the surgery or whatever has almost entirely worn off of Naranti. Oh, yeah. And by the way, they mentioned that the surgery just wears off. So we don't have to worry about that going forward. Also, also, you know what I respect? I respect that the guys doing the sensors were on the up and up. Like, they did it for the price that they quoted. It does what it's supposed to do. They guarded the ship. They didn't try to steal your light. Yeah, they didn't try to steal your light or lay eggs in you. You know, honestly, I'd give them uh, a positive Yelp review. Positive. Yeah, positive Yelp review. Yes. These are the kind of guys you're going to find on Angie's list. By the way, Angie's List, do you know what Angie's List is? Yeah, it's it's where you find contractors and stuff. Yeah, and it's theoretically like a really good service because it's, you know, they're all they're all vetted by the service itself. And then additionally, there are reviews that you can put up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, theoretically, it's good. But I've used it a couple of times when I needed projects, both at work and at home. And they spam you so hard and so much that I'm like, fuck you, Angie's List. <laughs> like... I did one home repair project. I don't need you sending me a text message every three days. It's like, doing any more home repair projects? You thought about replacing your roof? Do you need new gutters? Like, no! Shut up, Angie! We could probably use a couple of those things. That aside. (laughs) Back on the pod, on the transport pod, they're trying to figure out if they're going to wait for Aaron or not. And then she returns. Thank God. Thank Jana, says uh, Sakozu. So apparently Sakozu's god is named Jana. Yeah, we're, we're just throwing a god in there for Sakozu. It now. is late in the series to be throwing in a new pantheon, okay? So girls didn't get any extra time in the guys episode, but ooh, the guys get a bunch of extra time in the girls episode. Well, we go back to where we started, which is the guys on the ship saying, hey, the girls are late. And Pilot's like, oh, here comes their transport pod being pursued by a scared warship. Wah, wah. So they get on the ship. We're going to starburst immediately. That's what we do. We starburst. Yay, episode over. Or is it? Yeah, just kidding. The Scarens fucking find them immediately, which of course means that there's some sort of beacon on board. One of them has brought back a beacon. And like I said, there are 10 minutes left in the episode. And now the title, Bringing Home the Beacon, makes sense in the last 10 minutes of the episode. Also, there's like a weird flirty thing with Dargo and Shiana with like the new genetic stuff. Hey, when you've got different genetics, it's really easy to remember that you had sex with my kid. Wink, wink. I mean, it's actually going to say like, hey, I didn't mix these genetics with your offspring. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then John and Aaron are like having a discussion. Aaron is upset about the fact that Gray's got away and that maybe now the Luxons are going to be in trouble. And John's like, hey, don't worry about it. Why don't you and I go fuck instead? And it's like, did you not have a whole conversation about the thing with Scorpius? And whatever. Whatever. I I can't even with them. So they start to kiss, but then whoop, whir. Yeah, yeah the, the ship's under attack by the Scarron warship. And everybody's trying to figure out, as I said, how the beacon got there so quickly. The DRDs scan everyone, and nobody seems to be carrying the beacon, including Aaron, they mention. Mm. So those are your... Terrible uh, job, DRDs. Right? Not to, like, give it away, but yeah, seriously. So everyone has a little... You know, they're all having a little, maybe you're the traitor, maybe you're the traitor. Aaron goes in really hard on Sakosu, and Sakosu's like, what the fuck, bro? I thought we were friends. Yeah. Like, we were being all friendly all episode. There's a really cute bit with the... There's a really cute bit with Rigel and Naranti. Uh-huh. Where, uh... Because Naranti's Naranti has the device that will disguise the Leviathan. And, uh... And Rigel's like, uh, I could have got you a better deal. And she's like, we got the deal we were looking for. And he's like... I could have got you a better one. She's like, you don't even know what deal we got. You don't even know if I stole it. But the thing is, it's a really playful exchange between the two of them, which I really like. Yeah, we saw in an earlier episode that they were negotiating together. So it's funny that they brought Chiana in and all of a sudden they had two rogues with Chiana and Rigel. Mm. But Naranti really is the much more roguish character of, of the two, of her and Chiana. So, as I said, the Scarons are closing in. The beacon's not ready yet. The disguise beacon's not ready yet. The right. track, the tracking Sorry, beacon. The the sensor, the sensor's not ready yet. Rigel's like, listen, I know that you're gonna be all like, Rigel's always the one who says let's bail, but maybe we should bail because the Scarons don't care about Moya and Pilot. So if we leave, Moya and Pilot will be safe, and we can all get out of here safely. And Aaron's like, maybe we should. And John's like, what about the baby? And Aaron's like, what baby? Okay, Daisy from The Great Gatsby. But all of a sudden, it's was it a bass or a trout again, right? Yeah. Like, Aaron doesn't know about the baby. It's not Aaron. Aaron's brought the beacon on board. And you know what? I said the DRD didn't see the beacon when it scanned Aaron, but the beacon's not inside Aaron. She placed it somewhere on the ship. Ah, okay, fair. But maybe the maybe the DRDs should have seen that she was some sort of biomechanical thing, which is what she is. John has to shoot her. It is pretty great because John, John, John's like, John's like, what are you with, Aaron? What are you with? What are you with, Aaron? And Aaron's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And John shoots her in the face and, uh-oh, it's a robot. Right. Which he knew. This was not a. Oh, that was a freebie. <laughs> yeah. Um, it actually is pretty powerful where now he has to watch, quote unquote, Aaron die, just the way Aaron had to watch John die, except that was the real John, but he's being profoundly affected by seeing Aaron die, essentially. Although he already has killed Aaron. Yeah, back when he was... Possessed by Scorpius. Chip Scorpius. Yeah. So yeah, biomechanical Aaron is dead. Nobody knows where real Aaron is. Rest in peace, biomechanical Aaron. We hardly knew ye. And they do magically get the sensor working in time. So Scorp Scorpius bursts out of his room. He's like, 
Jesus fucking space Christ, do I have to do everything around here? He gets the signal thing working, or the beacon, or whatever, the thing that disguises them. And, and the Skarens are like, oh, that's so weird, I thought we were attacking a Leviathan, but it turns out we're accidentally attacking a garbage truck? Our bad, we didn't realize you were a garbage truck and not a Leviathan full of criminals. No, actually, they do this really well by using all of the stuff that they already have, right? They have Sokozu there, and we remember the thing about Sokozu is that she speaks all these alien languages. Oh, I didn't bring up that one of the things that I, I didn't bring up. That's so funny. I'm, I'm talking about Sokozu using alien languages. I didn't bring up the thing that tipped John off was not just Aaron not knowing that there's a baby, but he started asking her to say things in English because Aaron can speak English and the bio mechoid thing uh, couldn't. Yeah, that's... But anyway, so Sokozu tells them what to disguise themselves as, and then she, speaking the language that that... Garbage race. Right, that... The, the race of people who would be driving the garbage scow. Yes. Yes, the race of people who would be driving the garbage scow. The garbage spaceman. Speaking that language, she says to the Scarin crew, she's like, oh my god, we were just attacked by a Leviathan and you scared it away. And they're like, ah, we were just chasing that Leviathan. And then they go away and everything's fine. Except for the fact that Aaron's, you know, Missing. who knows where. John's like, is this a summer break? This feels like a summer break thing. Yeah, No, this is actually a... I was going to say this is a going into the finale thing, but it's not. We have several more episodes before that. Mm. But yes, Aaron is with missing. I'm not sure that works. But yeah, Aaron's missing, so that's going to be the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Also, her robot corpse is just kind of lying in the middle of the floor which is awkward for everyone yeah and dargo tells john like don't worry we'll find her and enough for real credits so yeah i really like this episode this was a really good episode of farscape you know why stuff was constantly happening it really was like you you joked about how the the boys got time in the girls episode and the girls didn't get time in the boys episode. But the fact of the matter is the girls were efficient. They got their beacon and they had their surprise and enemy from your past showed up plot. And their surprise and enemy from your past plot actually ties into the continuing plot as opposed to Dargo and Mackin's shit over last week. Mackin. So, yeah. Yeah, and, you know... And, and they got it done in, like... 60% of the time that it took the boys to finish their plot. Yeah, yeah. Nothing happened in the dude's plot. They just kind of went to class. <laughs> and then John even didn't. Yeah, John didn't. John fell in a hole. No, he, jo- was, he was locked in a hole. He was John was in detention. In yeah, John, John, John was like, school's stupid, and then he got thrown in detention. Ugh. But no, we've, we've got all of this set up now. And like I said, we've got Grey's a 2.0 now. And we've got a missing Aaron. All right. The, I, I know we usually do this later, but I was just going to jump to what our next episode is because I feel like there's, I feel like Farscape's got some momentum as far as its episodes are going right now. All right. What's the next episode? So the next episode is called A Constellation of Doubt. And the description from Peacock is, after trapping Crichton and the others on a Scarin base, Scorpius reveals his true agenda. So now... As we normally do. Our segments. Like John, we are in a distant part of the universe. 
what world building worked for you in this episode? Okay, it's a little hokey and it's touched on stuff we've done before, but I really like the dead Leviathan evil mall. Evil mall! Redundant. Yes! Love it! And the fact that, like, you can get mall plastic surgery that will wear off in, like, a few days. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the same, except I was going to use the phrase you used before, which is, like, the black market farmer's market. Yeah, yeah. The farmer's black market. It's stalls of illegal stuff. Yeah! Oh. And Quantum it is, zucchini and whatnot. It is a sci-fi classic. Not just sci-fi, but it, it is a classic, and I, I feel like, yeah, I love it every time. Yeah. Oh, except for the terrible episode of Battlestar Galactica called Black Market. No, that episode is terrible. Um, But that that's neither here nor there. Every time except then, I love it. Is it because the president can't airlock a, an entire marketplace? Because I know how much you love it when she airlocks people. Okay, this is this is not Welcome to Cobalt, but maybe a little. Is my joke about Janway actually true for the president? In More a- Rosalind? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she just airlocks the shit out of people in Battlestar Galactica. Were you not aware of that? I was vaguely aware of it because I know people have been making jokes about it. I, I realized retroactively my joke about Janeway airlocking people was probably me subconsciously ripping off that joke about Roth. Because I I haven't seen any Voyager, but I like to believe that Janeway is constantly murdering her own crew for basically no reason. Our second segment, like John, we are encountering strange alien creatures. What creature design worked for you this episode? Nothing, really. I I didn't really have one. Did you have one? Oh, yeah, the biomech uh, Aaron. Oh, actually, that was really cool. After John shoots it and part of its face gets ripped off, you see the inner workings of yeah, yeah, it looks you, pretty you cool. You see both the bio and the mech, and it's it's interesting. It's like it's pulsing like an organic creature, but you can see that it's Got mechanical gears. in nature. Yeah. yeah. Just glue gears on it. Like, John, we are sharing the wonders that we've seen. What emotionally resonated with you this episode? Honestly, there's a bunch of little character moments that I really like. I, I feel like it's hard to give it to anyone in particular. Just there are so many little scenes, like of Aaron doing that little joke like at the it's not your color thing uh-huh with the uh, with Sakozu and like a lot of stuff with Chiana and uh Naranti and the thing with Naranti and Rigel there's a lot of little moments that really show how much these characters have connected mm-hmm. that I just really enjoy I mean I felt like this episode really built on echoing other episodes mm-hmm. so I mean, we talk about the Black Farmer's Market, right? And it's... That that feels like other commerce planets that we've visited, right? Like, I think of the first Maldus episode. The whole Budong thing. Or the Budong thing. Or even the Ghost Planet episode with Aaron. Like, yeah. it, it's, got that, it's got that same kind of vibe, right? And then also, we've got the whole... John witnessing the death of Aaron and he's witnessed the death of Aaron before. And also Aaron has had to witness the death of John. Like we've got that moment kind of resonating deeply with us. I I just, I feel like this episode is powerful, not because of a particular moment, although it's tempting to give it to the John, like where's the baby moment, mm-hmm. but not because of a particular John and Aaron moment, but because of the way that it is building on and echoing everything that we've built up before in Farscape. So, 
The whole episode is my answer. Wow. Yeah, I like this episode. All right, I believe that'll about do it for this week. That will do it for this week. Our show's partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons. Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maracruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, Dan, and Anthony. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you can tweet at us at I Love TV Zines at Twitter, or you can email us at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Space out. Don't cut any of it. <laughs>